Last week, we talked about us. We're already sons of God. We're not going to be sons of God. We're not hoping to be sons of God. We are sons of God. We're going to be proven to be sons of God. Uh, to all the universe is going to know this. But we are the sons of God living in what? Earthen vessels. It's kind of hidden. And, but the glory's in there. So it's the mystery of the indwelling Christ, that Christ is in you. And it's such a mystery. He's in us. Alright, so let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. We're going to read these again. And walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, in all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. This is strong. Don't deceive yourself that you can be one of these people and still get it. That's what he's saying. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not you therefore partakers with them. And let's pray. Father, we ask for help uh, in understanding the doctrine. And we come unto Christ and we want to know the doctrine. So please help us now and open our eyes. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so salvation is not what you do. It's not something that you can do. Salvation is grace. What is salvation? It's not works. It's resting in Jesus' finished work. Grace is actually God working in us and through us and for us. That's what grace is. It's His finished work. So salvation also then is not kept by what you do. You can't keep your salvation because you're a good boy or a good girl or, or, or faithful. I want to say something else. Salvation is not lost by what you do. You can't lose your salvation by doing a certain thing or committing a certain act or failing to do a certain act if you're saved. Because salvation is of the Lord. The Bible says we are kept by His power. It's the saving power of Christ. We are kept by that. We rest in that. Now, salvation is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God, right, that Jesus gave to us. So salvation, after everything I just said, let me say this. Salvation is what you have. It's something you hold on. You have it. You own it. You obtained it. You're not hoping to inherit salvation. You already have it. So look over at chapter 1 of Ephesians. If you go back and look here, even, even just in this book, Ephesians 1, it says in verse 11, "...in whom also we have obtained what? An inheritance." 
Does it say you're striving to get one? Does it say you're working hard to get one? Is it saying if you're faithful to the end, you're going to get one? It says that we've obtained it. We have already have an inheritance. Being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His will. So we're not trying to obtain. We already have it. Alright, look at verse 14. It says, which, this is the Holy Spirit that is given to us, is the earnest of what? Our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So God gave us the Holy Spirit as a special gift. One of His functions is He's an earnest payment. He's the down payment or the earnest money per se in your eternal redemption. And the Spirit of God, God who, uh, when God gives the consideration and gives you the Holy Spirit, it's as good as done. And the Holy Spirit that you have inside of you is the proof that you have an inheritance that is coming. It's a proof of what you have, but it has a, a future fruition to it. It's called an inheritance. Inheritance uh, until it's coming later. Alright, now look at verse 18. This will be Ephesians 1.18. And the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Boy, that God would wake us up and see this. You've got to get an eye-opening experience to see it. That you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. You see that? The riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power. So in, in Ephesians 1, we find this word mentioned three times. The inheritance. So God says, be enlightened to what you can have concerning this inheritance because it's riches. It's great glory. It's great riches. It's, a, it's eternal wealth. And get enlightened to it. Now in Colossians 1, it says, He hath made us. See, once again, does it say, hey, we did, we did really good. We made ourselves meet to be partakers of the inheritance. No, it doesn't say that. It says, He hath made us meet uh, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So what he's basically saying is God qualified you for an inheritance. You're partakers of it. God has already made it done. So, salvation of Christ in your birthright of being born of God and born from above and eternally begotten. Well, I say, say eternally begotten unto eternal life through the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It qualifies you to get the inheritance. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to ask you some questions here. Now, did God mean what He said in one passage of Scripture? And then when you get over to another passage, He changed His mind and He altered it a little bit to it because it sounded good. The Lord does not do that, does He? Does God change the rules as He goes? Will we inherit salvation? Where do we have it now? That's the question. Will you inherit? Hey, there's some people it says in the Bible that will inherit salvation. We'll look at it here in a minute. Hey, we have it. I just showed it to you. God showed it to us all throughout the Scriptures. Let's look at some passages of the Bible. And uh, discuss this. So turn over to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Verse 
Here's Jesus speaking with his disciples. And he's talking about doing what they did. Giving your all for him. Notice they did. They left all and followed Christ. And Peter kept bringing it up. <laughs> Peter kept bringing it up to him. Lord, we left all for you. And so, that's why it says in verse 27, Then answered Peter and said, Behold, we've forsaken all. you believe that? Did you do that? We have forsaken all and followed thee. Some of them even their own families. Now we know they left their houses. Left their own families. Peter was married. Had a wife. What shall we have therefore? That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? I mean, we all want to know. We all want to know. If I'm giving all for thee, Lord, what I get out of it? Because we are selfish. You know, men are selfish. And he wants to know. So Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me. Now technically speaking, none of us could do that, could we? We weren't there. So we, we can't doctrinally say, this is purely for us. It was for them. He's answering Peter. He's not answering me. He's not answering you. Peter was an apostle. Peter was called to one of the disciples. Alright, so he says, Ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when God remakes all things, basically, and when the resurrection takes place, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You know, that's only for them. They're going to get, they're all getting a throne to judge the twelve tribes of Israel with Him in His millennial reign. That's a promise. Well, look what He says in verse 29. And everyone, uh-oh, this might be me and you here. He put me in there. If, if, I mean, stick, put you, I like this. Jesus is speaking to all, everyone. Everyone that had forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, what's he going to receive? An hundredfold. Look at that next line. And shall inherit everlasting life. Now how does that work? How does it work that if you give all and you sell out for Christ and you follow Him and you don't turn back as Judas did, you get to inherit everlasting life? That, doesn't fall, that does not coincide with the uh, doctrines of Apostle Paul. Really. You know why? This is given to men who were... Jesus has not risen from the dead yet. These are people still living under the Old Covenant. These are people who are living under the Old Testament. So the word inherit there means to be an heir to a portion or to a lot. Hey, I'm getting... I've inherited some land. I've inherited some wealth. I'm, per, I'm basically going to be a partaker of a partitioning. In other words... Hey, I, God's going to partition out certain things in the kingdom. He's going to give certain parts to this person, certain parts to this person, to, according to His desire. And everybody's going to be portioned it out. And it's called a lot. A lot. Hey, this is my lot in life. You ever heard that one said? Your true lot is what you get after you die and rise from the dead. Then you'll find out what your lot is. It's your exclusive right to this 
property to this reward to this inheritance. Now, this is amazing. In Daniel 12, 13, you can look at this later. This is the last verse of the whole book of Daniel. He says, Go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest. Daniel's resting now. He's asleep. His body's asleep. And stand in thy lot at the end of the days. That's his portion. That's his inheritance. He's going to stand in his lot at the end of the days after the resurrection. So Daniel got a portion. He hasn't gotten it yet. He hasn't gotten it yet. He still hasn't risen from the dead. He still hasn't gone through the judgment. He's waiting on us, the Bible says. He's waiting for everyone. Now notice though, the inheritance is your lot after you've lived and risen. Nobody gets it now. Nobody gets it. That's what's so strange about the uh, prodigal son. You know, you were talking about that last week. Prodigal son, the young son, goes up to his dad and says, Give me mine now, dad, before you die. That's, That's not proper. He gave him some, didn't he? He gave it. He knew. He's not getting the true inheritance. But anyway, that's a whole other story. So the internal inheritance, our, I'm talking about us, your eternal inheritance comes after death, comes after you rise from the dead, and then it comes after you get judged at the judgment seat of Christ, the beam of seat, and rewards are passed out. Then you're going to get your inheritance and your uh, lot. But we have a very interesting dynamic here, and I want to show it to you. So turn over to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. And we'll look at some verses concerning this tonight. Talking about inheritance. Jesus said, if you'll leave all and follow me, you will inherit everlasting life. You'll get this amazing... Uh, he said, you're going to, not only are you going to get hundredfold back for everything you gave up for me. Think about that one. I'm going to also give you everlasting life. I just want to add in there, I already have everlasting life and so do you. And I haven't died yet. And I haven't risen yet. And I haven't got, so our everlasting life to the Christian is not your inheritance. Okay, so Psalm 37, look what he says in verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You see that? There's an inheritance coming, and it's the earth will be inherited. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Do you see that? And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Look at verse 18. The Lord knoweth the, the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. And then in verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Now, who's he talking to here? Who is he writing about? What is Psalm 37 doctrinally going toward. He's talking about the people of Israel under the original covenant, the Old Testament. He's telling them you're going to live it, you're going to inherit. Did you know God promised Abraham the land? He promised the Jews the land. He never promised them heaven. 
They get the land. I don't want the land. I want heaven. Okay? The meek shall inherit the earth. This is an Old Testament prophecy or a promise. It's not for Christians. You know what's strange is the Jehovah Witnesses, which are called the nitwits, they think they're going to inherit the earth. And 144,000 special ones are going to go live in the New Jerusalem. That's what they believe. They're completely wrong in every aspect. First, they're wrong on how you get it. And they're even wrong before that. They're wrong on what they believe about Christ. They're wrong. They're not inheriting anything but the pit. The Bible teaches. It's not talking about... Listen, God promised Israel the earth. According to Romans 4, God promised Abraham that the Jews would get the whole earth. Now, that hasn't happened yet. They're going to get it at the resurrection. And the twelve uh, disciples, Peter and his men, are going to all sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel across uh, all the earth four thousand years. Turn over to, to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. We'll keep looking at some things. There's so much to look at concerning this. Actually, when I started studying it, I got a little afraid of it. But... Um, Isaiah 60, 21. This is God talking to who? Isaiah's people. The Jews. Look what it says. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. He's giving them this wonderful promise that they are going to live on the earth forever and ever and ever. That's their promise. That's their inheritance. So when God told Daniel, you're going to get a lot, you're going to stand in your own lot. Nothing like standing on your land. Or if you don't pay your property taxes, they're going to come take, you don't own anything anymore. But hey, in this, in this one you will. God promised so. Your life, I will stand. There's nothing like standing on your property saying, this is what God gave to me. This is my inheritance. Alright? Look over at Isaiah 54 in verse 3. Look what this says right here. This is a promise God gives to Israel. Didn't give it to us. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles. The Jews will inherit the Gentiles. Amazing. And make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Now, I can give you a little tidbit to think about later. You know, if you think about in eternity, if, if the Israel gets the earth forever, it won't take too long for the earth to fill up. Because sin will be over, transgressions will come to the end, and death will be defeated. So there's going to be, and they're going to procreate in eternity. Because Jesus said, the increase of His kingdom will continue forever and ever and ever. And the seed will be as the stars of the heavens. So what you have is Israel, they're an earthly people. They're God's earthly people. 
Now the church is God's heavenly people. All right, it's different. They're, they're God's two great treasures. So you have the treasures of earth. Once they fill up, what are all the Gentile nations going to do? They're going to move to the stars. Because it says in Deuteronomy 4.19, God has given the Gentiles the stars or the heavens as an inheritance. All right? God gave the earth to Abraham's descendants by Isaac and Jacob. God gave the new Jerusalem to God's people, the church. God will, God will, you know, you think about it. We were looking up at the stars one, about a month ago, looking up at Orion. People are so foolish, they think they want to live up there somewhere. But some people probably will, but it's in God's timing, which is a long, long ways off. Amen? Because God's going to expand the kingdom. That's a whole other study, by the way. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. You remember the verse in Psalm 37, 11, where he said, The meek shall inherit the earth. Um, Y'all heard that before, right? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in the Beatitudes. And Matthew 5, 5 said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, God's not promised me the earth for an ever and ever. He's told these people that are listening to Him here on the mount that day that if you will be blessed, you will inherit the earth. So it's the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to understand something. It's given. Who's there when He's speaking? you think there's even one Gentile listening? It's possible. There might have been a Roman soldier... You know, you didn't ever know. But the bulk of the crowd was Israel. That's who he came to. The lost sheep of the tribes of the house of Israel. They're listening. And he's telling them, this is kingdom theology for a people who are before Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. He's telling them, if you live according to the rule of the Old Testament, you're meek, you will inherit the earth. Turn over to Matthew 25. So much to say in such a small, short amount of time. Okay, so if you look at this, we first said the, the, uh, the Old Testament believers, the saints of the Old Testament will inherit the earth. Those in Christ's time, before He passed away and rose from the dead, he said, you will inherit the earth. Look here in Matthew 25. Now this is different because this is a prophecy of something that has not yet happened. This is the Olivet Discourse and Jesus is talking about His return and He is going to test the Gentile nations. It's called the judgment of the nations. These are people who survived the tribulation and they're getting judged. They are still alive. They're not dead. They survived the trib. You know, I think uh, two-thirds of the population of the world are going to die during the tribulation period. That's a lot of people. Billions and billions of people are going to die. But some are going to survive. There's going to be some survive and not even know really what happened. They're going to be told. It says they're going to send runners out through all the corners of the earth to tell everybody what took place in Israel when Armageddon happened. 
All right, so there's going to be people brought and judged. That's why it says in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 34, Then shall the king, this is Jesus, shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are tribulation saints that survived and they will get an inheritance in God's kingdom. Now, why am I telling you this? Listen, none of the peoples of the Old Testament could get an eternal inheritance yet because they were living under the Old Testament. They were still under the Old Covenant. Look at, let's look at this. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. They are dwelling in... A, 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 they're just a different era than us. You know, Jesus brought a new and living way. Jesus brought a better way. The people of the Old Testament were living under an inferior covenant with an inferior priesthood. We talked about that today. There had to be a change even of the priesthood, the Bible says. No more after the order of Melchizedek. Because it could not be under the, after the order of the Levitical priesthood because it was a flawed system. Now look at this. Look at Hebrews 9. We'll just read one verse. Verse 15. And for this cause, He, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, you know, for a testament to go into effect, for a will to be enforced, the testator had to die. We know that is a fact. Okay? So he says, he had the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression of what? That were under the first testament. They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. They could not get their inheritance under the Old Testament because Jesus, they had a flawed system. Jesus had to die on the cross and the testator of the will of the New Testament had to die. And His blood had to be shed for anybody to get their inheritance. It says that those that were under the Old Testament, the transgression, you know what's interesting about Old Testament forgiveness is it was covered. It was never fully washed and taken away. It was covered. It was called kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R. It was covered up, but it was not done away with and fully cleansed until Jesus died on the cross. And so that the, the whole, everything's changed after Jesus died on the cross. And, but when He did die and He rose from the dead, oh my, how everything changed. Look, turn over to chapter 11 of, of Hebrews. Okay, not only... You, th you realize, those that were living in the Old Testament days, everyone that died under the Old Covenant could not even go to heaven until Jesus died. They were bound in a place called Abraham's bosom, right? And, and I'm sure it was a great place. Jesus called it paradise. But they were not, they couldn't even go be in the heavenly presence of the Father. But look at verse, uh, let's look here at chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 39. After all these great deeds of the faith done in the Old Testament, notice, these are all Old Testament. 
It's interesting because Old Testament is by faith. New Testament is through faith. The circumcision is justified by faith. The uncircumcision is justified through faith. That's what it says in Romans. Okay, but look at this. And these, in verse 39, these all, having obtained a good report through faith. I mean, they showed the greatest faith in the history of the world. All right, they showed it, received not the promise. They didn't get it yet. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. They cannot be made perfect without, until all the saints are saved and rise from the dead. And sadly, the church even has to rise first. Pre-trib rapture. Okay? I know we're saying a lot here. Now listen though. This is why uh, we're going to talk about this if God ever gives us time. The, the importance of the great sabbatical week. What all does that entail? The 7,000 years of, of human history on this earth. The great sabbatical week. The marriage supper of the land. And all those who attend. It's important to know these things. The difference of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The difference of Israel and the church. What are all these raptures? You know, there are seven raptures in the Bible. Only two of them are very important to, as far as uh, doctrinally. But there, are, there were seven. Now, all the family of God, I go back to Colossians 1.12, has been made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. It's interesting because some people... Inheritance comes before. I mean, no, I'm going to say this. We gained our inheritance of salvation already. Some people have not. All of us are getting our inheritance at the end, though. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go just a tiny bit longer here because I don't want to cut. Look at Mark chapter 10. I want to explain something, how, what, how I see this. If you'll bear with me. Uh, I believe this is very important. Mark in chapter 10. I want to look at one thing here. So important. This is the, the uh, rich young ruler. The good old rich young ruler. Everybody's heard his story. He comes to Jesus. What does he say in verse 17? It says that when he came... And was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He says, what do I have to do? What a question. You know what Jesus answered and said unto him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He didn't say that to him, did he? He didn't say that to him. What did he say? You know what he really said? He said, if you want it, if you really want to have eternal life, you keep the commandments and you'll live. Keep them. You go out, you keep the commandments, you're going to live. He says, you know the commandments. The old, the, the, every Jew knew the Ten Commandments. Interesting in there, he stuck in there, defraud not. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. Don't be a cheater. Because he knew what the guy was. Right? He said, you keep the commandments, all the do's and all the don'ts, and what? Then he says in verse 21, he, he loved him. He's trying to help him. Verse 21, he says, one thing thou lackest. 
Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and take up the cross and follow me. He says, you're going to have this wonderful inheritance. You have one of the greatest inheritances because you gave up everything. And sold it and gave it to the poor. And then you're going to go out and get this beautiful, wonderful treasure in heaven. Now here's the problem. Jesus knew the young man had a problem. The young man had an eye problem. He was covetous and rich. And his eye offended him. And he knew he wasn't going to come to him and get saved uh, the proper way because he loved money. And so Jesus said to him, you're not going to get saved. You're not going to come to me and trust me as your Savior if you're going to worship money. And so he told him, you lack that one thing. Go sell it all. Come to me. He didn't tell him you'll get saved if you come to me, did he? He said, you'll have treasure in heaven. That's what he said. Because salvation comes the same way every time. Notice what he said there though. What shall I do? Isn't that what people say all the time? Hey, what do I have to do to get saved? What, like the, uh, the Roman jailer said, what must I do to be saved? He, knew, he said, what must I do? Isn't it interesting, Jesus' answer compared to what Paul gave the Roman uh, jailer in Acts 16.31? Totally different. Totally different. Turn over to John chapter 6. You know this whole thing about what shall I do? I look at it. Different situation requires a different answer. It really does. So look here in John 6. In verse 28, it says, They said unto Him, What shall we do that we may or might work the works of God. You know, it's a good question to ask, what should I do? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. Now, this is so beautiful because they're saying, what shall we do? And all Jesus is saying is, you better work on what, and believe on what He did. It goes all the way back around to what I said at the beginning. Believe on what Jesus has done. The finished work of Cal on Calvary. It all, it, it, it's kind of like this big circle. It comes all the way back around. Now I have much, much more to say here. Uh, I want to say this. We'll, we're going to end though. You cannot get kicked out of heaven by failing in some way. Right? Because every one of us has done it. I always ask people, you know, hey, you, if you believe you can lose your salvation, what do you have to do to lose it? Just tell me. What do you got to do to lose it? I want to know. What is it? Is it cut and dry or is it different for every person on earth? What is it? They don't have an answer for it. They, go, they, they run to Hebrews and all these strange passages where it says that some people could possibly lose it and they live and die on that stuff. And they, they look at, like, was it Matthew 24, 40... Two, whoso believeth on me and, and endure to the end shall be saved, if you endure. See, they don't understand the saving work of Christ. And his. Once you become a, a member of His body, Him that cometh to me, I know why is cast out. You're part of Him. You're born of Him. You've been put into the eternal Christ. How can you get kicked out of that? 
And the eternal Christ is in you. How can that be taken out of that? The church is a very unique part of the family of God. Beautiful. By grace through, save, uh, through, uh, through faith is all that you need to be saved. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, if somebody was a drunk, or somebody was a whoremonger, like it says in Ephesians 5, which we'll, we'll do this next time, that means they're not a Christian if they're called one of those. Now, a Christian could be guilty of doing a few of those, but that's not what he is. He's a saint. He's already got his inheritance. We must, and, what, and I love what Paul said. He said, you need to be enlightened to who you are in Christ. It changes everything for you. If you know who you are as a Christian, it changes your life. It'll literally change your life. You'll never go back for one thing. You will take hold of this and you'll say, I, I, I'm telling everybody here, you have the, the wonderful opportunity of getting an eternal inheritance straight from God that is custom, built, set, and gifted just for you according to your life. And you can have and be as much as you want to be for God. Every one of us can. And that's your inheritance. Some people just don't care to have one. And guess what? They peddle around. That's why he said, don't be letting it be named among you as being saints. Because if you start letting it be, you're going to lose your inheritance. You're going to lose it. Doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It means you're going to lose your inheritance. You're not going to, hit, you're not going to have the lot that you could have had. 1 Corinthians 3 says they suffer loss. Okay? Colossians 3 says they receive for the bad that they did. They, they suffer, and it's all earned rewards. Nothing to do with being saved. I hope I'm not confusing anybody. It's an earned reward. Okay? God's incentive program. Amen.